Welcome to my Parshat HaShavua Shir. This week it's Parshat Tetzaveh, and uh, I want to take this opportunity of welcome all, welcoming all those who are live, watching this on Zoom, as well as those who are watching this on YouTube or listening to it on SoundCloud. It's a pleasure to have all of my Talmidim and Talmidois who study Torah with me on a regular basis. It's a pleasure to be able to share Torah with you. And this week we're going to look at a beautiful Nesivas Sholem. As you already know, if you are a regular listening to my or watching my Shiurim, I love the Nesivas Sholem. And this week we're going to focus on this beautiful Nesivas Sholem at the beginning of Parshas Tetzaveh. So Tetzaveh begins, Va'ata Tetzaveh es Bnei Yisrael. Talking to Moshe Rabbeinu, instruct, the word Tetzaveh means to instruct. We sometimes translate it as Command, the word mitzvah, commandment, comes from the word tzivui, to command, to instruct, direct, directive. Um, should take for you shemen zayis zoch, kosis ner tomid. You've got to take pure olive oil. Not quite sure where they would have found pure olive oil. Uh, in the wilderness, it would appear that for certain supplies, they were sending messengers here and there so that they could supply the Mishkan during their 40 years in the wilderness. And while the, uh, the Jewish nation as a whole remained in the wilderness, during that period of time they were in the Midbar, there must have been uh, those who went out and foraged and went to perhaps even neighbouring countries. It could even be that some of them went to what would later become Eretz Yisrael, so that they could obtain supplies. They certainly had to be able to obtain olive oil from somewhere other than a desert. There's no olive trees in a desert. But here they are being instructed to provide the purest of pure, what we call virgin pure olive oil. And that was to light the menorah. That's what it says here. The purest of the pure, kosis lamor, without any kind of impurity, so that it can be used to light. Lahalos ner tomid. The ner tomid, the eternal light that's being referred to here, is the menorah. The menorah never went out, even though it was relit every day. There was one flame in the menorah that never went out, and uh, it was lit from that flame, and it was a perpetual flame. What we refer to as the ner tomid in shul the perpetual flame that's always a light above the Oran HaKodesh, it has its source here in this Pasuk, Ner Tomid, and it's really talking about the menorah, that whenever you walked into the Oihel Moed, walked into the sanctuary of the Beis HaMikdash, at that time it was the Mishkan, but you would see the menorah, it was a light, and it was considered to be a very important source of somehow of the Shekhinon, not in and of itself the Shekhinah, but some type of indication of the Shekhinah that resided, the God's presence that resided in the tabernacle, in the Beis HaMikdash. Okay, says the Nasivas Shalom. By the way, if you want to access the source sheet, you can do so now on Zoom. There's um, in the chat, you'll be able to click on the link that will take you to the source sheet. If you're watching this on YouTube, it's a comment. If you're watching this or if you're listening to this on SoundCloud, it's a comment. You can access the source sheet. You can see the Nasivas Shalom for yourself. There are a number of different verbs that are used 
in the form of instruction that was given to the Jewish nation throughout their period that's covered by the Torah, that covers the period between the beginning of Shmois, actually more precisely from Beshalach, Boy, Beshalach, Boy is when we have the first mitzvah, but the first time we really see some type of interaction between Moshe Rabbeinu and the Jewish people relating to what God had told him after they came out of Mitzrayim is in Beshalach. And so it continues, of course, in Yisrael with the Ten Commandments and then from there on until the end of the Torah. There's a number of different verbs that are used in order to give instruction to the Jewish nation. What are those Lashonais? Emoir. So one of them is, we know the word, Vayoimer, Amar, to speak, to talk. El Bnei Yisrael, She'inyonai Amira Raka. The word emoir, speak, talk, is considered to be a soft tone. That means when you say, I think you should talk to someone, I don't know if it has the same connotation in English, but in Hebrew, specifically in Biblical Hebrew, the word amar is, is considered to be a softer form of talking than the next form, which we're going to see in a moment, which is v'daber el Now, that's the one that we are quite familiar with. Daber el b'nei Yisrael v'amarta alehem. So, daber is the way it begins. It continues v'amarta. Daber is a small, forceful form of speaking. The daber el b'nei Yisrael, shehu k'moshe maybe Rashi v'parshas Yisrael. Parshas Yisrael, Rashi says, you can see it in Perikutes of Sefer Shmois, the Amira he Lashain Raka, Emar Amar Amira is considered a softer form of the verb to 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 talk. The Dibur who Lashain Koshe, a tougher version of the same idea, speak is the word Daber by Yedaber, Daber, etc. So those are the two that we are most familiar with. But there is another one we've already mentioned it because it's actually. Uh, the name of this week's parsha, Tzavah. There's another parsha we're going to see in a minute. It's Tzav. And then there's the word Mitzvah. What is that word? And that's the Lamala Me'elu Hu Inyan Tzivui. The idea of Tzivui is a commandment, an instruction, a directive. That's the most forceful verb that's used in the Torah with reference to God communicating with the Jewish people, always through Moshe Rabbeinu. But when he instructs Moshe Rabbeinu, he tells Moshe Rabbeinu to speak in a particular way. So Daber al Yisrael is tougher than Emoir. And Tzivoy, Tzav es Yisrael, that's the toughest form of language that can be used. Shehu Kedivrei HaTeras Koinib HaParshat Tzav, the Medrash says in Tzav, what does it tell us? Ein tzav eloloshoin zirus. The word tzav, listen to this, is a loshoin zirus. The connotation of the word tzav is zirus. What's zirus? Urgency. There's something urgent, important. We've got to get it done right now and it's got to be done. That's, that's what tzav is. Tzav is something which is uh, more powerful in the message it conveys than the word daber and the word emoir amar. So that's what the Torah's koinim says. So what do we say here? Let's go back to the beginning of this week's parasha. Instructing them to 
uh, put together the Shemen Zai Zoch for the Ner Tomid, the, the verb that's used in the Torah is Tetzave, not Daber, not Emoir, Tetzave. That's, very, that's a very strong language to use. So says the Nesiva Shalom, we need to understand why it is that when it comes to the mitzvah of menorah, of getting together this, this um, oil to light the menorah, that the word that needed to be used, that the Torah needs to use, was the word tzav, tzavah. Says the Nesiva Shalom, V'chein gam b'parshas emoy ne'makein l'inyon ha And also in parshas emoy, um, we also have a section there which deals with the mitzvah of Menorah. It says, Tzavis b'nei Yisrael Hashem uses the same language, not quite the same word. It's the word there is Tzav, here it's Tzavah. It's not important. The root of the word is the same. So it shows you that this is not an accident, because if there's two sources in the Torah which use the same form of instruction, clearly it's deliberate. That being the case, we need to understand why. So there's another place where we're familiar with this word tzav that's used as the method of instruction that needed to be given to the Bnei Yisrael by Moshe Rabbeinu. And that is with the Korban Tomid, the daily Korban that was bought twice a day, the beginning of the temple service each day, they, the Kanim brought a Korban Tomid. Tomid means regular. The reason it's called Tomid is because it was regular every single day. In the morning, there was a Tomid of Shachris, and then there was the Tomid of the Erev, of the evening. The last thing that happened in the temple service every day was the Korban Tomid, one in the morning, one in the evening. Well, guess what? In Parshas Pinchos, and uh, we read it usually on Rosh Chodesh, uh, that uh, we have this same verb used with instruction for Korban Tomid. Tzav es b'nei Yisrael, v'amart aleim es korbani lachmi leishai, reach nichoichi tishmeru lahakriv li b'mayadoi. With Korban Tomid, the word that's used for the instruction is tzav. Shebechol ha-korbanos le'nizka loshen zeh rak b'korban Tomid. The only time when the instruction with regard to a Korban uh, contains this word tzav is with with reference to the carbon tomid, but there's one other thing, the chain bisreifas ha'oila, not the actual instruction of bringing the oila, but the burning of the oila when the oila the carbon oila. Remember what the carbon oila was? It's known actually as the burnt offering. It was an offering that was brought, and no section of that offering was actually kept by either the karnim for them to consume to eat, nor by the person who brought it for him to eat. It was something that was totally burnt on the altar. So the burning of the carbon oila on the altar, on the Mizbeach, is also described or instructed using this word tzav. Instruct Aaron and his children as follows. The whole night until the morning it needs to burn. Um, the says We need to understand why these three things. Menorah, listening. Menorah, the atot that it says at the beginning of this week's parsha with shemen zayis zoch is described with this word the toughest form of instructive language in the Torah. The next one is the carbon tomid, the instruction to bring the carbon tomid. Also, etc. And finally, the burning of the carbon oila, 
three things which are defined by their instruction and the word that is used is the word tzav, the toughest verb that can be used for instruction, not emor and not daber. So one of the earlier Slonim Rebbe's before uh, the Nesivas Shalom was called the Beis Avram. He wrote a Sefer Beis Avram and in his Sefer he writes as follows On that which we said earlier we mentioned or, or earlier the Torah's Koen in the Medrash. He says as follows, Ain't Sav, what does it say? The Torah's Koen in there says, Ain't Sav, Ela Loshoin Zirus, and adds, Miyad Ula says the Medrash, that the word Zirus, this, this idea of Tsav being Zirus, being of urgency, is not just for the present, it's for the present and for the generations in the future. It's something that's for the now. And it's also looking ahead to the future. There's an urgency involved right now. And there's something urgent which applies also to the future times. Amar Reb Shimon says Reb Shimon, must assume it's Reb Shimon by Yechai. He says as follows. Without explanation, says Reb Shimon, that the the Torah needs to instruct us with zeros, with urgency, when it comes to, and I use the word chisar and kiss here, what's chisar and kiss? The translation that we normally apply to this, you're going to see that the Nesiv Shalom is quite a different interpretation of chisar and kiss, but the one which is generally used is loss of money. That there's something urgent about preventing a loss of money doesn't explain himself. We don't really have an explanation in the Medrash. I'm sure there are multiple explanations. We're going to see how the Nesivas Shalom explains Reb Shimon, who says about Zeros being the applicable um, definition of Tzav, why there is Chisorin Kis involved and what, how Chisorin Kis applies to that situation. Uperish Maran's Chusa Yogan says the Baal Beis Avraham, the earlier Slonim Rebbe, a predecessor of the Nesivas Shalom, he says as follows, He says there is a Medrash in Vayikra that says as follows, This is very, very interesting. You're, you're about to hear something that you're probably not aware of, and if you were, you wouldn't have thought to apply it to this situation. Why does one bring a carbon oil? Do you know why you bring a carbon oil? So I'll tell you why you bring an osham, and I'll tell you why you bring a chatos. Both an osham, carbon osham, and a carbon chatos applied to specific mitzvahs that you transgressed, whatever they may have been. For example, if you inadvertently, um, you didn't keep Shabbos properly, and your mechalal Shabbos was a shoyeg, you bring a carbon chatos, it's a very specific thing. Let's say you thought it was Sunday and you cooked yourself a meal. And then somebody says, what do you think you're doing? Why are you cooking a meal? It's Shabbos. Oh, what should I do now? Bring a carbon chatos. That's how you are mechaper. You are, you are able to atone for the sin of Chilo Shabbos. Obviously today we don't have a Beis HaMikdash, so we don't do that. But in those days, when there was a Beis HaMikdash, you could bring a carbon chatos. An Osham as well, there are certain Averis or transgressions for which you need to bring a carbon Osham. I'm not going to go into those details now. One day we'll learn through Kochim and we'll go through everything. 
What about carbon oil? Why would you bring a carbon oil? So there's no direct application of a carbon oil to any specific Avera, says Chazal, and this is in Vayikra Rabbah. Do you know why you bring a carbon oil? Sins of the heart, specifically thinking about sinning. Do you know what hirur is? Hirur is, you imagine, in your mind, you're going through the process of saying, I would love to sin. I would love to eat bacon. I would love to be Mechalel Shabbos. I would love to steal somebody else's money. In your mind. That's what's going through your mind. Did you do it? No, you didn't do it. You just thought about it. It was going through your mind and you're rationalizing in your mind how important it is for you to have the other person's money and that it should be in your bank account, not in his bank account. Or you think, I'm so hungry, I need to eat that piece of bacon. It's all in your mind. You never go into McDonald's. You never bought the double cheeseburger. But it was in your mind to do it. What should you do in that situation? Says Chazal in Vayikra Rabbah, bring a carbon oiler. Not a chatos, not an osham. You have to bring a carbon oiler. Why? Because the hine hach amru chazal. Do you know what chazal say? This is a gemara in Yuma. Daf chavtes amid aleph. Hirhure avera koshim migufa shel avera. A very powerful statement. I told you, you may have known this, but never really thought about it. And you certainly wouldn't have applied it to this situation that we're about to describe here in this unbelievable Nesivus Sholem. Do you know something, says the Gemara in Yumadaf Choftes Hamad Aleph, thinking about sinning, thinking about doing something wrong, is actually worse than doing something wrong. What? Of course doing something wrong is worse. That's what you're going to say to yourself now. Ipcha mistabra, the opposite must make more sense, right? If I did something wrong, I did something wrong. If I didn't do something wrong, even if I thought about it, big, big deal. Wrong. You might think that doing an Avera is worse than thinking about doing an Avera. Chazal tell you, and they come up with an incredible rationale as to why this should be, that Hirhure Avera is worse than doing the Avera itself. Listen to why. You know what it's like. You've done something wrong. I mean, we've all done something wrong in the past, hopefully never in the future. But if we've done something wrong, our neshama is part of Hashem. We actually contain within us a chilek, a, a small portion, a fraction of Hashem from above. It's called a neshama. And what does that create within us? It creates something called a conscience. Not the type of conscience in a humanistic sense that, you know, we're not talking about ordinarily, ordina ordinary um, humanism or morality. We're talking about a spiritual sensitivity, a consciousness that is from Hashem. That is something that we all have. Listen to what it says. You have no relief in you once you've done the Avera from the pangs of conscience 
They're going to rack you. You're going to be full of guilt for the wrong thing that you have done. And what are you going to do as a result of that? You're going to do teshuva. Why? Because you did something wrong. You know you did something wrong. You feel bad for having done something wrong. And you want to be a better person. You want to get away from that Avera. You'll do teshuva. Comes next year, Yom Kippur. And if during the course of the year, you ate something you shouldn't have eaten, or you said Lashon Hora and you shouldn't have spoken badly, or you weren't as careful with somebody else's properties, you should have been, you never told them, or you did tell them, they know and they're angry with you, whatever the case may be, you offended someone, all the different Averis. And of course, we're going to talk a little bit about that as well today. There's a whole broad range of Averis, uh, which are of, um, of an immoral nature, of a sexual nature which are also things that people do and they shouldn't do. But you're going to do teshuva because you've got pangs of conscience. Why? Because you have a spiritual sensitivity, a God sensitivity, because a chilek, elokimimal, is residing within you. You have an ashoma and you know you did something wrong. Somehow the chimer of your body has been affected by what you did. And you know that you need to do teshuva. However, aval behirhure avera, when it comes to hirhure avera, ein odom margish shechoto bozeh. When you've just got in your mind thoughts of doing an avera, you're never going to think to yourself, I did an avera. You're going to think to yourself, ha, I managed not to do the avera. Look at what a fantastic person I am. I managed to avoid doing the Avera. You're not going to think that the thoughts that went through your head were wrong because they never resulted in an action. I only thought about it. I never actually did the Masa. I never did the action. He doesn't have those pangs of consciousness, conscience. He doesn't have that feeling of regret. Because he never actually did anything. That's why the Gemara in Yumadav Choftes says, Koshim, Hirhure Avera, Me Avera. Because if you only thought about it, you won't think you've done something wrong and therefore you won't feel the need to do Teshuvah. And that relates to what we said that you have to bring a carbon oiler for Hirhure Avera. You didn't do the Avera. For that, you bring a carbon chatos. But you bring a carbon oiler, by the way, you get no benefit out of the carbon oiler. It's a more powerful form of carbon in as much as you give the whole thing over to Hashem. Whereas when it comes to carbon chatos and osham, the kind and whatever, there is human consumption involved in a carbon chatos and a carbon osham. comes to carbon oiler, the whole thing is burnt on the Mizbeach because it's for a kind of worse Avera, in a sense. Hirhure Avera, as we said... Koshim uh, says the Nesiva Shalom when it comes to the sins of immorality. Briskoidesh here is used as a, um, a euphemistic term, Briskoidesh talking about the Mokoim Hamila. That is something which we are, our hard drive, our human hard drive is, is pre programmed to think a certain way about the opposite sex um, and crimes or sins of a sexual nature are something which can overpower us, perhaps in a way that's stronger than any other sin. 
other sins we can perhaps have great self-control, but when it comes to um, crimes or sins of passion that involve lust, that involve acts of a sexual nature, they are much harder to control. And hirhure, hirhurim relating to pigme bris kodesh, pigome bris kodesh, that's something that's very hard to control. And that's why it needs to say, That is why there's a sense of urgency when it comes to a carbon oil. Because it's something that not only affects you, it affects every generation that follows. Unless you've managed to gain self-control, control over your urges, of a sexual nature, and that you're not um, somebody who behaves or thinks immorally, that's something that passes over from one generation to the next. This particular Avera is something that will affect you right now and also affects the next generation and the generations beyond that. It's something that has a powerful residual effect beyond your lifetime. It's something, the result of which can affect future generations as well. And therefore, says the Nesiva Shalem, Gaining self-control, being able to resist the evil inclination, the Yetzirah, in these matters, that's the hardest thing of all. It's the hardest thing that any human being will ever have to face. Don't forget that the Satan, the Yetzirah, always wants to get you in a way that's going to not just affect you, but affect people around you. And certainly if it can affect future generations, that's going to be an Avera that's going to be very attractive to the Yetzirah. You're going to see that there's something more going on here as well. That Nesivas Shalom has another message. And he's specifically speaking to religious people. He's speaking to people who live in a religious, Torah-observant community who lead a mitzvah observant life and yet they're subject like any any other human being to hihurim what goes on in your mind you know Abraham of Breslov writes that you know our minds are so hard to control in fact your mind controls you the thoughts that go through your mind even if your acts are benign and calm and your outward appearance is perfect what's going on in your mind can affect you incredibly so that you can be suffering from incredible anxiety or incredible pain. And no one around you knows you're calm, you appear happy, you appear to be content. But that also is something which is relevant to sinning. You can have all kinds of terrible thoughts in your mind with regard to your life and the lives of the people around you and they've got no idea. Nobody knows. And specifically, the Yetzirah is going to target you if you have a weakness in this, so that even though nobody around you knows what's going on, that it will have an effect on you and them. There is a vibe of such thoughts going through a person's mind that affects the people around, the, around whoever it is and affects their family 
and affects generations long after they have gone. That's why we have to have the most urgent, we have to address this the most urgently of all. Now let's understand Reb Shimon. Let's see what the Nesivas Sholem says about what Reb Shimon said. This, it was a little bit, um, how can I put it, inconclusive. We didn't quite understand what Reb Shimon was talking about when he spoke about chisar and kiss, the loss of money. Says the Nesivas Sholem, let's not understand it as loss of money. He's using words which are actually a code for something else. He's using words that we're familiar with. Chisar and kiss is a familiar term that we use for loss of money, but actually he's talking about something else. He's using it as a code. It's a euphemism for some. It means something else completely. Omar Shimon, It's most important for the posuk to give this instruction in the form of tzav, in a place where there is a chisaron kiss. What does that mean? There is something lacking in hirhure avera. Inasmuch as that no one can see them, there is a chisorin that they are mechusim, kiss. They are covered because somebody can see you and you appear to be completely rational, normal, ordinary. And what's going through your mind are the most dreadful thoughts, but they are mechusim. They are covered. So there's a chisorin here. Me, the observer, looking at that person, won't be able to see it. There's a chisorin in my havona. I can't understand that person properly because I can't actually see what's going on in their minds. Now, if I see somebody who eats non-kosher food, I can tell you straight out that that person eats non-kosher food. If I see somebody being Mechalel Shabbos and somebody says to me, is that person a Mechalel Shabbos? I can say for sure he's a Balavera. I saw him be Mechalel Shabbos. Whatever the case may be, obviously I'd only do so if there was a TLS in that. But I could say about that person that they are Mechal Shabbos. What about somebody's thinking about Chil Shabbos? In his head he's thinking, Shabbos is so stupid. I don't even know why I keep Shabbos. I wish I didn't have to keep Shabbos. But outwardly, he keeps Shabbos. He comes to shul. He never goes to the Kiddush club. And he listens to Laning. He points him with a finger to his chumish. And in his mind he's thinking, what a bunch of nonsense. What am I even doing here? Well, he's eating kosher food. He never, I mean, he eats not just stam kosher food, he eats the best hersha, only glut kosher, and he waits the full six hours, not five hours and a minute, so definitely not three hours, that's for goyim. And there's people in Holland who wait one hour, I don't even want to talk about that, he waits six hours, and in his mind he's thinking, what a bunch of nonsense. Why am I eating kosher food? What's the point? Hirhure avera amachusim. So there is, says Rab Shimon, a chisorain kiss. There's something lacking here in as much as that the people around him haven't the faintest clue what's going on in his mind because it's mechuse, it's covered. There's a chisorain kiss. She'ish enoi roya zois. Nobody can see it. She'im ba'averes ba'poyel yesh la'odom meniois machmas shemizbayish lachtoi b'fnei ha'soivavim oisoi. And in fact, there is an advantage uh, of uh, the actual act of sinning 
in as much as that person doesn't want to sin because he doesn't want people to see him sinning. So he's prevented. If you live in the social environment of a religious community and nobody else is doing an Avera, nobody else is being Michal Shabbos. To be Michal Shabbos, that's Malach making a big statement. Imagine you live in a Frum neighborhood and nobody is driving a car. And Shabbos morning, you come down with your Shtaimel Bekisha and your long beard and payas and you get into your car and you drive off. Couldn't do that. How is it possible? How can you do that? You can't be Mahal Shabbos. So there's a bit of an advantage. But you can live. Listen to what he says. They're much worse. You're at a great disadvantage when it comes to those Averas. Because they are covered up. Nobody can see. A person can belong to a chevra, a chabura of the biggest, um, a biggest tzaddikim, chassidim. They're always davening with nates. And they always make sure that they daven the latest Rabbeinu Mariv. They've never missed Sofzman Krishma. They eat the best hechsherim. They're very makbid on every single mitzvah kachuta sarah. And you can live in that community and have the most terrible thoughts about the Torah and about mitzvahs and about all aspects of Judaism. No one can see you doing these terrible things in your mind, in your brain. What's going on in your brain? It's possible to live in a community like that and have the most terrible thoughts. Nobody will know. And the, and the damage that can be caused by this is absolutely dreadful. It's the worst possible damage that a person can have. This is interpretation. The Medrash, what a beautiful interpretation. There's nothing worse, says Reb Shimon. And therefore, if the Posig is going to use a Loshan Ziruz, the Loshan of Tzav, of Tzivui, the Posig's going to do it. The Torah is going to do that when there is a Chisorin kiss especially in situations which relate to this Hirhure Avera situation. And that's why when it comes to Oila, it says, When you do an Avera, no problem, by mistake, whatever it is, you can bring a Chatos, you can bring an Osham. Ach, how is, going, how is a, a Jewish person going to find forgiveness? Going to be able to do teshuva for hirhure avera? God gave us the opportunity of using the carbon oila as the method by which we can do teshuva for hirhure avera. Yidach mimenu nidach. There should be no permanent damage from it. The carbon oila is the method by which we can escape from the damage that will be caused by hihure halev. And based on what we've just heard, the Nesiva Shalom repeating the words of his predecessor, the Baal Beis Avraham.
Adhabaikar, that it says that the light, the flame that burns the Ola, should remain a light from the evening, the night, through, all the way through the, until the morning. When does the Yetzirah have the greatest effect, the most power? When, when is that? Do you know? When it comes to these matters, particularly in matters relating to Bris Kodesh, to do with matters of immorality, um, do you know when it is? He call halaylo atabayke. It's night time. It's always at night that you're going to be affected most by the etahara driving you in that direction. During the day, you're not going to be bothered so much by the etahara in these matters. You're not going to be driven in that direction during the day. People have other distractions during the day. The sun is shining. I'm busy with my work. I'm busy with whatever it is I'm doing during the day. Comes night time. That is when your mind begins to play tricks on you. And matters of immorality will creep in. This, of course, is uh, something which is treated in quite some detail in the Kabbalah. But here, in the Nesiva Shalom, it's skimmed over a little bit, presented to us at the very basic level. But there's something where there is the control of these external matters, of these animalistic desires, is most powerful is most effective, is something that can really grab us and take us where we don't want to go. When is that? Balailo at night. And that's why the oila, the whole purpose of burning the oila all night long is to somehow undo the damage that can be caused by hirhure halev that occur most during the night. And the and the light, the flame of the Mizbeach, will burn it up in the same way as it says. He quotes here an expression that's used in Meseches Shabbos, Alderech Havla Mapik Havla. A burning can absorb a burning or can somehow it will outdo or I can't explain it exactly, but somehow the power of the fire overpowers the other fire. The Eisham is Beach, the holy fire of the altar, is there in place so that it can burn and destroy and obliterate the fire of your desires of the things that draw you away from your relationship with God, draw you away of doing the things that you need to do in order to be close to God and to be loyal to your godliness. It was this oila, this particular carbon that had the power, the effect that it could completely, it could carry the Jew to enable the Jew to, as it were, completely eradicate within him or her the possibility of having the thoughts that drove a wedge between God and that Jew and God and the Jewish nation. That's what it means. When we see tzivui tzav in the Torah, that's what it means. And now we're going to understand why. Remember, there were three things. Menorah, Tomid, Oila. So we've just explained the whole Oila situation. Now we need to understand Menorah and we need to understand Tomid. But it makes sense. You know, Chazal teach us How does Navera begin? Chazal tell us. How does Navera begin? You see something. 
it actually hits your eyes. So it gets from there into your brain. Ayin roya, your eye sees it. Then, v'achakach halev choymet. Oh, I saw it. And you think to yourself, hmm, I'd quite like that. I'd like to do that. I'd like to have that in my life. That's where it starts. First, you see it. Then, you want it. And then, you do it. Let's take non-kosher food as an example. First, your eye sees it. And you see it for the f- I mean, If you wouldn't see it, you wouldn't think of having it. You wouldn't think of eating it. You see it. Then you think, oh, that looks appetizing. I'd like to eat it. And then you eat it. So three stages. Th- stage one, see it. Stage two, want it. Stage three, have it. That's what Chazal teaches us. And these three things that we've mentioned correspond to those three aspects of doing an Avera. Parshas And now we're going to have a whole piece that explains the purpose, the function of the menorah. What is the menorah there to do? Because every aspect of the temple service has some counterpart in human life, in Jewish life, that it's there somehow to either help or counteract some aspect which is negative. We have in the temple this spiritual whatever it is, force, power that enables us to overcome that which we shouldn't be doing. Every aspect of the Mikdash, of the Beis HaMikdash, has this as its central theme. What is the theme of the Menorah? He can negate Ayin Raya. The Menorah is there somehow to overpower, to undermine this concept of the beginning stage of sinning, which is the Ayin Raya, the eye that can see. Shemizeh Bohap Gam B'mayach Hadas it is only because you see it that you become conscious of its, its existence and that begins the process that will end in the sin when it happens. Let me explain, says the Nesivas Shalom. How is the menorah the counterpart to that? How does it affect this by making sure it doesn't happen, because it offers you the light of Hashem, which counteracts any negative force that may exist as a result of seeing the thing that you will want to do. The light of Hashem will completely change the way you see that thing. So it offers the light of God. Listen to what he says. He says that, um, what is the correction? of things which can cause um, mistakes that result from your brain, who ha that's the menorah. How? Because it lights up a Jewish person with the light of Hashem. Let's begin by understanding why it is that a person does something wrong. It's because they lack some type of spiritual, intellectual capability. Katnus hadas. Kamamar Chazal, as Chazal have explained to us. It's a Gemara in Saita, Daf Gimel, Amadalaf. Ein Adam over Averela, Imkein Nichnas Abairach Shtus. It's a famous Gemara. The Gemara says, no person ever does an Avera except when somehow they crept in what's called a Ruach Shtus, a foolish thought. You're a person. And you believe in Hashem, and you don't want to do Averis. 
And you wake up in the morning, you think, I'm going to be a good person today, I'm not going to do any Averis. And the day progresses, and you might find yourself doing an Avera, whatever that Avera may be. Maybe a big one, maybe a small one, it's not important what it is. Why did you do it? How is it possible that you did an Avera when, you, if you woke up in the morning, you believed in Hashem, and you wanted to keep all the mitzvahs in His Torah, and you ended up doing an Avera? How is it possible? A foolish thought came into your head that somehow created the possibility in your mind that even though you believe in Hashem, and even though you want to do His mitzvahs, and even though you don't want to upset Hashem, and you want to do, fulfill, discharge your purpose in life as a servant of God, as an Evet Hashem, you still did the Avera. Must be, says the Gemara in Saita, a Ruach Shtus crept in. It's the Gemara in Saita, Daf Gimel Amad Aleph. Somehow God's light was deficient at that moment. When God isn't apparent in your life at that particular moment, the opportunity arises for you to just act like an animal. After all, that's what we are. We're mammals. We're no different than um, chimpanzees. Doesn't mean you have to believe in Darwin, but the DNA doesn't lie. We're not that far away from them. So therefore, if we reduce ourselves to chimpanzees or gorillas or apes by um, obliterating or blinding ourselves so that we don't see the Ur Kim, that we don't see God's light in this world, then we're going to do the same as them. They just do whatever it is that they want. They're not doing anything wrong. You know, nobody's ever accused a chimpanzee of being immoral. Even if we see a chimpanzee doing something that as human beings we would consider immoral, if a human being did it, we're never going to say that the chimpanzee is immoral. We might stop them from doing it. We might even put an animal down if they hurt. We know the Gemara talks about it, that if you have a shur muad, that that shur muad has to be put down. A shur muad is not just, by the way, a shur. It could be a dog. It could be a chimpanzee. Why? Because we're going to prevent them from doing something which is going to cause us harm. But let's say you saw, you were in a zoo and you saw the monkey's tea party and one monkey steals a banana from another monkey. Are you going to say about that monkey that it's a gunnaf, he's a thief? Of course you're not going to say the monkey's a thief. But if I see my child taking something away from another child, I'm going to say, no, don't do that. Give it back. Why? Because we have an oyelakus in our life, in our lives. We know that Hashem doesn't want us to steal. And we know that when our child steals, takes something from another child, it's going to be ingrained into them that they can take things away from another child. And we don't want our children to be thieves. We don't want our children to be Gandovim and Gazlonim. So we're going to train our child. It's not like the monkey in the tea party. It's like our child. It's like ourselves. And yet we see adults stealing. So what happened? That same adult, when that adult was a child, and their parents saw them taking something from another child, the parents said, uh-uh, don't do that. Give it back. That's stealing. And yet when they became adults, they're stealing. How is it possible? Because they became like monkeys at the tea party. The oir kus, the light of God, the light of the menorah, that's what the light of the menorah is about was removed from their life for that moment and they stole that's how the avera happened 
We need the light of Hashem in our lives so that we don't have katnus hadas, a reduction of our das, of our um, ability to understand the world as we should understand it. The ability to understand that God doesn't want us to do things which are wrong. I use stealing it as an example, but it, it applies to everything. Every mitzvah of the 613 mitzvahs. Every single one of them is relevant to this equation. Katnus hadas will result in hirhure halev, which will result in doing the avera ultimately. So we continue. When we allow the light of God into our lives, that in and of itself will remove the darkness. Light replaces darkness. Because the more you elevate light, the more you allow light into your life, the less darkness there is in your life. Sinning is darkness. Sinning is monkeys at the tea party. That's what you become. We don't want to be that. We want to have the light of God, which illuminates everything that is in our lives and everything that about our lives. That's why the Torah had to say, using this Loshon Tzivoy. Tzav is Loshon Ziruz. Remember what we said. There's an urgency involved. We need an even greater sense of urgency for anything that will cause a pagam ledoiris for future generations. The pagam in your brain, in your brain's ability, in your intellectual ability to understand what it is that God wants from you. At that moment, it can happen for a moment, and then you're back. But by that time, you already did something wrong. The only ability the Yetzirah has to get you to do something wrong is because you reduced your level of consciousness, of intellect, of understanding, of allowing God into your life, of appreciating God's presence at every moment, God's light all around you. By just reducing that light for a moment, like a dimmer switch, you dim the switch and straight away the chashechus creeps in, the darkness creeps in, and that results in sinning. What's the tikkun? So we have this symbolic Eir HaMenorah, the light of the menorah in the temple. Hamerli Yisrael, it lights up the world for the Jewish people. They were able to see the light of Hashem Yisbarach. As a result of that, all aspects of darkness will be eliminated from your brain. That's why Aaron and his children are instructed in this as a um, the menorah that is something that has to be perpetuated, not just 
at that moment, but for all generations. Aaron and his children are obligated in this mitzvah of Menorah, not just for now, but it doesn't really explain because all mitzvahs are L'doyreisam, but here is specific because there is a pagam, L'doyres Hainusho Inyan Hashayach L'doyres. This is something that is relevant for all future generations. That's why the purity of the olive oil was only relevant to the lighting of the menorah, but not necessarily to the carbon mincha, because that's not relevant to this entire idea. The purity of the oil is specifically relevant to the oil that was used to light the menorah. Because the beginning of the correction the beginning of resolving this problem is in the mayach, in the brain, and its counterpart, or the uh, ability to be able to do this, as it were, corrective procedure, is through the light of the menorah. Because that is the thing that gives, you know, when you go into a dark room, you can't see anything. It's totally pitch black. And you put a, you, if you have a flashlight, what in England we used to call a torch, right? You, but you turn the torch, you can see a bit of light. Then you turn a light. Today you've got halogen lights. You know, you can't see it here, but facing me is a whole bunch of lights. So I can be lit up. If you turn those lights off, this room becomes dark. So where is the light? That light changes every aspect of the room I'm sitting in. If there was darkness, I wouldn't be able to see anything. At night time, I can see nothing. By the way, that's why the Yitzhahara creeps in at night. Because the physical light is a reflection of the spiritual light. The Menorah, by the way, it was we spoke about this last week, the Menorah in the Beis Hamikdash was not there because it was meant to light up the sanctuary. We don't need light. That's why it was had to be a Neertomid day and night because you could have opened the curtains during the day and the light would stream in from the outside but that's not why the menorah was lit the menorah is there as a reflection of god's light which is perpetual and overpowering it overpowers any koyach that the yetzahara may have to undermine your spirituality and your spiritual your god consciousness that is what is so important about the menorah and that's why it's the atotetzave. It's a tzivoy as opposed to simply emoir or daber. I want to now turn to carbon tomid. Keneged halev chemed shu inyan tavas halev uchukosoi he parshas esham is. Sorry, let me get to carbon tomid. Vezesham chazal. Okay. Keneged Halev Choymed, we're going back now to the carbon oil. Show Inyun Tavas Halev, Uchukosoi, he parshas Esham is Beach, Zois Terasa Oila. That's we said already that the Lev Choymed, the thing that you want, the Hirhure Halev, that we mentioned already from the Balbe Savram, that's the carbon oil, and that's why the word Sav is used by um, when it describes burning the remains or the uh, dead animal that was brought as an oila, an oila sacrifice, that is to do with the second stage of sinning. First we had the mayach, right? The ayin roya, the fact that you've seen it, it's come into your consciousness. Then is your desire, I want to do it. That we've spoken about in quite some detail in today's shir, that that's a very powerful force in a person's psyche. 
But then we have the clay maise. And that's what the carbon Tomid is about. The actual doing of the Avera. And for that we need Tzavas B'nei Yisrael V'amart Aleim. Es Karboni Lachmi. That you need the word Tzav Shekenegedzeh. But Karban HaTomid. Because against the act. How do we protect ourselves from the act of doing the Avera? Mechaper L'achash Yehudi Kvan Nechshal V'chota. After a Jewish person has already sinned. You have the carbon Tomid. Which can somehow act as a counterpart to the act of doing, the maaseh ha'avera, the fact that you did something wrong. The tomid shal shachar mechapel avera shal The one you bring in the morning is a kapora, is an atonement for the averas that were done by Klal Yisrael during the course of the night. The tomid shal bein ha'arbayim mechapel avera shal And the one that you bring in the evening, the final carbon of the day, is something that's going to be mechaper, somehow act as an atonement for all the averas that were done by Jewish people during the course of the day. Yesh sug averas shalayla v'yesh sug averas shalayim. Do you know that there's different types of averas? There's a type of avera that you're more likely to do at night, and there's a type of avera that you're more likely to do during the day. And the carbon tomid is a catch-all. There's the one that you bring in the morning for the previous night, and there's the one that you bring in the evening for the previous or for the day that preceded it. And that's why the word sav, this loshain zeros, remember what we said earlier, that zeros, this sense of urgency. You've got to bring a carbon tomid, so you've got to make sure that you will have, you will have undone the damage that might have been caused by that virus that were done during the course of the day. Sinning, if it's not checked immediately, has a very powerful effect, a ripple effect, that can continue then, the next day, the next week, the next month, and for all time. If it's not checked right away, if it's not prevented and addressed immediately, it's miyad uladoris and the carbon tomid having this all-encompassing function of addressing the avaris that were in the preceding 12 hours needs to be brought on those regular moments, one in the morning for the night that came before, one in the evening for the day that preceded it, so that we can deal with it right away. Shekorban ha-tomid inyonai kamar chazal. Chazal teach us what the korban tomid is for. Sheloi lon odom uviyodai avoin. No person should ever rest, should ever allow themselves even a day when there is an avoin in the hand. Of course, we have Yom Kippur, we have Rosh Hashanah, we have Aserisimei Teshuvah, we have Elo when we do Teshuvah, but the truth is, no 24-hour period should ever pass, and you've sinned, and you didn't address that sin. And that's why, that's what Chazal teach us. It's a Medrash Rabbah in Parshas Boy, that the Medrash Rabbah says that you need to, you need to bring a carbon Tomid um, which is going to address, sorry, it's not in Parshas Boy, it's in Perik Chof Aleph of Medrash Rabbah, that you need to have a carbon Tomid so that there's never a time when the Jewish people are going to have sinning as part of their lives for a 24-hour period without it being addressed. And of course, you need to address it individually. And each person needs to make sure that they have atoned for the sins that they've done. But broadly speaking, the Jewish nation must always be 
superconscious must carry with them at all times the urgency of preventing themselves from falling into the trap, of seeing things that will draw them in the wrong direction, of desiring things that will cause them to sin, and from carrying their sin for any longer than they need to. We'll leave it here for today.